Yep.
give up everything it is that you have to quit your job, to sell your car, to possibly leave your wife or husband to go on the road for Jesus, would you do it? Would you do it? You mean leave our wives and kids for good? No. <laughs> to go on the road for a tour for Jesus, like a, a service tour, a tour of combat, so to speak. A tour of combat against, you know, the evil one. These guys did. That guy, Justin Gambino, did for sure. And uh, Michael, you need to know that uh, Ross and I, we put the hard press on him last year, last August, to try to get him to be our worship leader here at Morningstar. So your prayer was answered somewhere along the way. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna pass this around. This is uh, Justin's and, and Whitley's uh, gas bucket. <laughs> Why don't you put some money in here? Help them get on down the road, back to Houston, back to their families their wives, their fathers and mothers. Be generous, because they're doing good work. Yeah. Hey, kids, come on down. It's time to stump that pastor. Ladies like to put makeup on because they want to look pretty for 
right here, we believe in the power of prayer. Hey, we believe in the power of prayer. Amen. So be a part of that. Another thing that we're doing this Christmas, and we're collecting it now in October, is for Lighthouse Pantry, they give out something every year to uh, parents and kids uh, so that they have just at least a little gift. And uh, so on December 2nd, they'll be passing out puzzles and uh, baby rattles. Earlier I said baby rattlers. <laughs> We're so excited to be here with you guys this morning at this service. Um, I think this is about the second or third time here at Morningstar, but uh, third time. And I'm um, so excited to have Whitney here with me. We're going to share a special song for you guys this morning, a song that I wrote at a time in my life whenever I was feeling really convicted. I knew that God was calling me to do music, but I did not want to step out of that comfort zone. And my pastor back home at the time, every Sunday morning, was saying, whenever you leave these doors, Go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Whenever you leave these doors, go out and be the hands and feet. And I wrote a song about that, about being the hands and feet of Jesus. And over the last year or so, I've been so humbled um, that K-Love has been playing it and spinning it on their radio stations. But I'm even more humbled to be right here in front of you guys this morning and share it with you guys live. This song is called Your Hands and Feet.
provided for us and proves against us. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to who is going to convict them? It is, the, it is Christ Jesus who died, even more, who was raised, and who also is at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble, or distress, or harassment, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, we are being put to death all day long for your sake. We are treated like sheep for slaughter. But in all these things we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death, or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things not powers, or height, or depth, or any other thing that is created. The word of God for the people of God. Everybody's running. Uh, while, they're, while they're going to get my sermon uh, that I almost didn't preach, I want to kind of tell you, um, I, like about a month ago, I guess it was, I preached a sermon about recommitting, like recommitting ourselves to some things. And in the midst of getting ready to preach that sermon, I decided I needed to recommit to reading the Bible just for me, like not to share with you all just to read it for me, and, and not really even to study it, just to read it, like I used to do. And so um, I, there's this thing called the Daily Lectionary, and it gives you passages of Scripture to read every day. And if you read through it on this three-year cycle, you will it, it, it essentially have read the entirety of the Bible um, in three years in just kind of small chunks. And so I started reading it, and I was in 2 Samuel. And I came across this passage of Scripture— that um, I didn't like. One of the Bibles that we gave to Elise when she was a kid had like thumbs up and thumbs down stickers, like things you could put in. You could put a sticker in your Bible that says like, I like this. Or you could put a sticker in your Bible that says, I don't like this. And I read this and I would like, I almost drew like a giant thumbs down. Like I don't like this passage of scripture. It's okay, I got it. I'm just gonna read it. Y'all don't have to stress out about it. And so um, I, I'm going to read this to you, and it's one of the most heartbreaking stories that we have in the Bible. But before I read it, I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 22. But just prior to this, that I'm about to read you is 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Hey, students, cool, man. Don't, don't worry about it. I got it. Um, and in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, what happens is my good friend, and I say that with sarcasm, David, um, rapes a lady. 
He rapes a lady named Bathsheba. And David is a conqueror, right? Like, he conquers David, and he conquers all these other nations, and he rises to this place of power, and he uses that power to get Bathsheba to come to his room, and then he rapes her. And beyond that, you know what he does? He tells her husband, hey, it's all right. Don't sweat it, man. Everybody's looking up here and, and is distracted by everybody trying to find my sermon, and, and we, we got, got God's going to handle this. And so David... Um, brings Bathsheba into his room, and he rapes her, and then he sends her husband out onto the front lines to be murdered. And some time passed. And David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. I don't know if you caught that. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister And David's other son, Amnon, fell in love with her. You heard that right. David's son had a beautiful sister, and David's other son fell in love with his sister. And I think the writer of Scripture uses the love very loosely in this passage, because I don't think that it's love, and you will find out why really soon. I think it's an obsession that is actually sinful and sick, and in our world would cause somebody to go to prison. It is not love. And Amnon was so tortured that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. She was a virgin, she was a princess, she was guarded, she wore certain clothes to display that she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to do anything to her without getting caught, I think, should be added to that phrase. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. Okay. So this is a cousin of Tamar, the daughter. And this cousin said to her brother, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. He can't even bring himself to say my sister. And Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat and prepare the food in my sight so that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please, let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. And then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes at his side, and baked the cakes. Then she took the, took the pan and set them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber so that I may eat from your hands. So Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. 
And she answered, No, my brother, do not force me. For such a thing is not done, is not done in Israel. Don't do anything so vile. As for me, where can I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of those scoundrels in Israel. Now therefore I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon was seized with a very great loathing for her. Indeed, his loathing was even greater than the lust he had felt for her. Now it's lust, by the way. Amnon said to her, get out. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong is sending me away, is sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he wouldn't listen to her. And he called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence, and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. But Tamar put ashes on her. Toward the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he became very angry. He would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had raped his sister Tamar. This is the word of God for the people of God. several seasons, and I feel like their intent, like every week, was to make you cry. I mean, that it wasn't a good episode if somebody didn't make, they didn't make you cry. And I remember the very first time I watched it, Michelle and Elise and Emery and I lived in Denver, and I was in seminary, and I came out of like this back room that I used to do my reading and writing and stuff in for class, and I walked in, and the show was on, and Michelle was crying, but she was like crying, real crying. And I wondered if something was wrong, and I said, what's wrong? And, and she was like, it's parenthood, the show, and I was like, that's not that bad, right? And so I sat down, and I was hooked on it also. I got hooked and watched that show, and then it, when, it, when it went off the air, they started another show for people who were addicted to parenthood called This Is Us. Anybody watch This Is Us? Now, I'm putting my hand down on This Is Us, and I should put my foot down, because that one's even more, makes you cry even more, and so I don't watch that one. But then last week, this new show started. Anybody watched the new show last week called A Million Small Things? 
Yeah, there you go. Another one that makes you cry, and I'm kind of hooked on this one. I want to see where it's going to go. But this sermon is about parenthood. This passage of scripture is about parenthood. And it's also because this passage of scripture is us. Because it's about a million small things that happen in and out of our lives that add up to giant things that are harmful and painful. I didn't want to preach this sermon, like I was telling you earlier. But I read this passage of scripture, and I just kind of couldn't let it out of my head. It just seemed so raw and real, and it's rare to come across something in scripture that causes that kind of emotion within me. And I just kept thinking about it, and then I was listening to a couple of different podcasts a month or two ago, and I was catching up on old episodes, like years, like from four or five years ago, and on two of them, they brought up this passage of scripture. And so then my ears kind of perked up, like, okay, maybe, maybe God's trying to say something to me, but I don't know what it would be about this passage of scripture. I don't really want to hear it. I'm not really sure. And then I, uh, my friend Marge subscribed to a magazine for me called Christian Century, which I love. And they had an entire, uh, I always want to say episode, but what, what's it called in the magazine? An edition of stories about this exact passage of scripture and so I was like this is getting to be more than a coincidence and then like two days later the news broke about the priests in Philadelphia who were abusing children and it just was like I felt like God was putting his foot in my back and like pushing me down the path to preach the sermon that I'm about to preach and I feel like I owe everybody an apology because I don't know how I went 17 years of ministry without preaching on this passage of scripture. 17 years of being complicit in allowing men and women and boys and girls to be sexually abused and to be harassed. And I didn't say a word about it when the Bible has a story in it that I could have used to preach from, to help people. And I chose to preach from this today because I was doing some research and listen, this is one of the craziest statistics I've read in a while. I read this two weeks ago. The Vietnam era people, people who were alive during Vietnam, raise your hands if you're in the room and look around, there's a lot of you. If you've ever been to the Vietnam War Memorial, you know in Washington, you know how overwhelming it can be and the names that are on that wall and how small the font is. But did you know that if you just had your hand up, your generation alone, the people who have reported being abused sexually, or not even harassed, just abused sexually, if we put everybody's name that has actually reported on a wall with the same font, that mo memorial, which we would call the Sexual Abuse Survivors Memorial, would be a hundred times bigger than the Vietnam War Memorial. That alone tells me that there are people in this room right now who were abused sexually and your preacher probably never preached about it. And being complicit in that, I owe Tamar an apology. Because Tamar is a desolate woman still walking amongst us today. OK, 
Okay, so we talked about Vietnam, now let's talk about MySpace. Anybody ever have a MySpace page? Now you're starting to feel old too. In 2006, a black woman named Tamara Burke was the first one to use the phrase Me Too when it comes to sexual abuse and harassment. She was a community organizer and she wanted to give other people, not just women, but women and men and boys and girls who were sexually abused a voice and to let them know they were not alone. So Tamara Burke, it's interesting that her name is Tamara, and we're talking about a lady named Tamar, but Tamara Burke said the phrase Me Too, and it didn't really catch on, but it kind of caught on. It was around enough, it was in the ethos enough, that last year Alyssa Milano decided enough is enough, and she used the hashtag Me Too, and you all know the history of it now. And I want to say this right now. If you're sitting out there in this room at this moment saying, oh, now he's going to talk politics, shame on you. Me Too is not about politics. Me Too is about human beings who have been abused and they can't control it. They couldn't help it. They did nothing wrong. It is not politics. Harvey Weinstein used his power to abuse men and women just so that they could work. Priests all over the world use their spiritual authority, whatever that is, to harm boys and girls, and then they think they have a right to keep speaking. Shut up, old man. It goes on and on and on. And preachers, we're afraid to talk about is us. It's a story about parenthood and a million small dreams. My prayer this morning is that if you're one of those people who have been harmed by another person because they can't control themselves and they're messed up, that you would find redemption and hope and strength knowing that you are not alone. Because here's the thing about Tamar. Tamar was not loved either of her brothers. Nor was she loved by her cousin. She was stalked by two of them, and one of them told her, hush, you don't want to bring shame upon our family. This is embarrassing. Be quiet. That is what always happens to people who are abused. When they bring it up, they're told, be quiet. Shh. Don't say anything. It's not that big of a deal. What were you wearing anyway? Why were you at that party? What did you, how much did you drink? What did you smoke? Why did you go to your uncle's room? You know he's weird. There's always somebody trying to say that if you were abused, it's your fault. And I want you to hear me say this very clearly. How dare them make you think it's your fault? It is not your fault. Nobody has ever had the right to do those things to you. And it doesn't matter what you were wearing, how much you had to drink, or if your uncle is weird. They take power and they use it in an abusive way. That's exactly what happened in this story. So, do not be shamed. 
because God loves you. You're more than the trauma that you have experienced. God loves you. It doesn't define you. God loves you. It may have shaped your development, that's for sure, but it doesn't define you. Don't hush. Speak up and speak loud. That brother and that cousin and the other brother who said to be quiet, that's one thing. But David, if David were in the room today, I would look him in the face and say, I've got a problem with you, David. David does nothing except get furious. But he doesn't use his anger to do anything except just be furious about it. I have a problem with you, David, because your one job as a father is to protect your children. And when that doesn't happen, when something happens to them that's outside of your control, you should speak up for them. You should do something. I have a problem with you, David, because you can write all kinds of songs and poetry and all sorts of things, but you can't write one word about your daughter and her pain. I have a problem with you, David. Because you've risen to places of power and you have all of this seemingly success, but you have failed where it matters most, which is within your own home, to do the things that you need to do to take care of your family and friends. That is a problem we still have today. There is a pastor in Chicago named Bill Hybels. I don't know if you paid attention to what's happened at Willow Creek Church. But Bill Hybels rose to all kinds of places of power. He was a spiritual advisor to presidents. He flew all over the world meeting with world leaders. He had this thing called the Global Leadership Summit that he was all over the world doing and doing some good work at it while he was at it. But in the meantime, inside the privacy of his office and in secret places, he was literally shoving women into closets and keeping them from having voices and jobs. problem with you, David. I wish I could see him face to face. But what's he going to say? What would he say to Emma? Hey, you're a chip off the old block, you know? This is where it's about parenthood. We have to clean up our messes, brothers, sisters, because our kids and our grandkids are watching, and we want to speak with integrity, so if you've got issues, deal with them. Now, I believe that in every story of scripture there's hope because I believe that we worship the God of the second chance and I believe that we worship God, the triune God that creates, redeems, and sustains. God creates us and is still creating us. God gives us creation all the time and God redeems the things that we have done that are wrong and redeems the brokenness in our lives. We worship the God of death and resurrection. We worship the sustainer, the Holy Spirit that comes to give us strength to rise up. There's a strand of theology, a strand of theology called womanist theology. 
there's, there's feminist theology, and feminist theology is strong and powerful, and when I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's shaking my boots a little bit. But when I read womanist theology, I feel like falling down and trembling because it's so strong and it's so powerful. Womanist theology is black female liberation theology. And womanist reading of this scripture is so powerful because it paints Tamar out as a hero because of this verse right here. She was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. I want to use my sanctified imagination for a moment and tell you how I think this story went. Tamar takes the robe that her father David gave her, the same David that I have a problem with that wouldn't do anything, and she ripped that robe, and she put on sackcloth and ashes, and she went around, and guess what? She would not hush. She would not be quiet. She threw that hashtag me too all over the place, and she spoke up, and she cried out, and when they would try to get her to be quiet, she would cry out even more and more and more, and I, I'll bet you, I would bet you anything that maids started coming out of the woodwork and I'll bet you little boys and little girls started coming out and saying me too, this thing happened to me too and it just kept going on and on and on and on and then I'll bet you guys started saying things like yeah but you can't believe everything they say but you can believe it because why would somebody make that up? Because it's a shameful thing for her to experience that she She understood that she is a survivor. I don't think Tamar would have ever said, I'm glad that happened to me. But I'll bet Tamar said, that doesn't define me. The shame of that doesn't define me. I'm bigger than that, and I'm bigger than that because of the God who created me. I'm bigger than that because of the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer. I'm bigger than that because God can raise up the dead and give life to the things that are dead again. And she saw life come into other people and sisters and brothers. You who are in this room right now who have been abused and you who are in this room right now who have been harassed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I want you to, sit, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You are more than that. You are a survivor, and it matters, and it's a big deal. You are strong. You are stronger than you know because the Spirit of God is within you is stronger than you know. And like the passage we read, read from Romans earlier, who can separate us from the love of God? No one. Whatever you've been through, still here. Tamar, shh, be quiet. I'm still here. I won't shut up. Lock the door. She kicks it down and says, I'm still here. You have to deal with this. The enemy, enemy with a capital E, wants you to be quiet, wants you to feel that shame, wants you to be defined by it. And you can say, I'm still here. I'm not defined by it. You may have struggles, but you're not defined by it. You're still here. It may feel like you have to climb a mountain, but you're not defined by it, you're still here. 
They tried to destroy you, but you're still here. You're a survivor. They can't beat you down. They can't take that away from you. They can't make you go away. They can't make you be quiet. You are here. And it matters. Inside of your worship bulletin, did everybody get a worship bulletin this morning? There are some resources. And I want you to have these resources. And if you need them, I want you to use them. I'm a pastor. I love to talk with people. I like to sit with people. I like to guide people. I can help you think things through theologically. I can do some premarital counseling. I can even do some marital counseling. I can do a little bit of a lot of things, but I'm not an expert at very many things. And so when I come across people who need more than I can offer them, I always want to pastor them into the direction of someone who can really help. And so if you are someone who is still bleeding and wounded and can't find your footing in all this, La Pignon is a place that I would point you to. They do amazing work. They have amazing help for you. Please reach out to them. The other thing that I would like for you to know is this. Within this room, there are survivors. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate those of you who have survived. And if you feel like you are strong enough that you can pray with other survivors and you can pray with other people who are still hurting and are still wounded and need someone to pray with them, if you're one of those stronger of the folks, would you please stand up now and move towards the back of the room? Because I want the people to see you, but I want, don't want to draw a ton of attention to it. So if you're one of those survivors, would you please stand?
bruised, was spat upon, had its hair pulled out, was called all kinds of names, but could not be held down. And neither can we. Neither can we. Because the Spirit of God resides amongst us. Yes. Yeah. 
there's grace for all. There's love for all. We worship the God of the second chance. There's always hope. In every situation in our lives, death can come in. But we know that death does not have the final answer. Resurrection does. And we are people of the resurrection. Sisters and brothers. This week, I really, really hope that your hearts find grace. And I hope that your souls know peace and that your minds are renewed. I hope that your eyes see the light and that your ears hear the glory of Jesus Christ in your midst. And as you are going, I hope that you go in peace love and serve. I love you all. I'm glad you were here today and I hope to see you later this week and next week. Hey, go see uh, Joe.